Hi, this is Randy Farina, and the thing I remember most about high school is the lunchroom. Uh, it was from the mornings and after school. We would all meet there and hang out. And then during lunch, uh, Mike Tulemary and I used to uh, uh, probably eat more than we did anything, but that's what I remember most is the uh, lunchroom. Uh, probably sounds lame, but that's what I remember most. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Ponder This Podcast. I am uh, delighted to be joined by uh, a gentleman who has uh, he's moved a little bit. He's moving on up. He's uh, not Mr. Jefferson, but uh, he was, and he still is because he's still with us. But in high school, he was known as Big Lou, and uh, his name is not Lewis. And uh, he's going to get into the reason why he was called Big Lou. But this guy has uh, done quite well for himself in the financial world. We had a great interview, and he'll tell you himself that uh, it sounded a little fishy. And by that, I mean it sounded like we were talking in a fishbowl. I think it's because he lives in a fucking mansion, a big old cavernous home. Please put your hands together and welcome a guy who is uh, half the man he used to be. He's not as Big Lou anymore, but Randy... Farina joining the program. This guy is, uh, he is my Monday morning uh, quarterback. This guy gets on text as soon as he hears an episode and uh, gives me his uh, Siskel and Ebert one thumb or two thumbs or no thumbs up. Uh, Randy, I appreciate you coming on to the program. How are you, sir? Um, excellent, Tim. Thanks for having me back. Uh, a little bit of a technical difficulty in the first one, so I'm glad uh, you know you invited me back when we got the chance. I was going to come down to the studio, but living on the Cape, uh, I don't really cross the bridge much, uh, so I, I, I thought it'd be better if we could just do the Zoom and, and, and go from there. Yeah, no problem. So joining me via the Zoom, and what part of the Cape are you on again, Randy? I'm in Falmouth, and I do want to make a point of clarification. I heard your Amy Howard interview, and Tim Driscoll is the expert, and according to him, the tape starts after the bridge. Uh, so I just want to make sure how he knows that Plymouth is not the case. That's hysterical because I was just going to bring that fact up. So one of the uh, one of the Monday morning quarterback comments that I received uh, shortly after the, uh, the the saucy school committee episode aired featuring Amy Howard, uh, Randy was pissed. He's like, listen, you tell Howie that sauce pot or whatever she wants to call it in Plymouth is nowhere near Cape Cod. It's not on the it's not on the point. So uh I, I just want to clarify that I did know that um that you can get to uh Plymouth down Route three. You don't need to go over any bridge whatsoever to get there. Um as long as we clear that up. Yeah and so, Tim Driscoll will be proud. He's uh, a very big uh promoter of the Cape and over the bridge is the Cape. Over the bridge. And through the woods to Randy's house we go. Where were you before? Uh, you, so this, you've been down there a little while, but you were living up in these parts. And then uh, you decided rather than keeping two homes, you were going to just downsize to one giant one down the Cape. 
Yeah, and it's not a giant old <laughs> one, so that was not the technical difficulty. It had nothing to do with the mansion. And uh, I've been, I've had a house in Falmouth since 2008. I was in Woburn and Andover, uh, you know, prior to that. Uh, I lived in Woburn for about 10 years and then Andover for about five years. Uh, as I got into my 20th year at Putnam, we, uh, I had thought that there could be a possibility that I was going to be let go. We had a great run and, you know, we'll cover this maybe now or later. Sure. Had a great run, a great career at Putnam. Uh, towards 2015-ish, I'm like, shit, I may get let go. We had a bad three-year stretch and how it works in the investment business, or right or wrong, uh, you know, you can make a lot of money. And, but when you don't perform, you can get let go. So we had a good 10 year stretch. I had a great team at Putnam, good people that I worked with, you know, some of my best friends, uh, you know, and mentors were at Putnam, uh, you know, post 2013, we had a bad couple of years stretch and I'm like, shit, they may let me go. Right. And I said, I don't want to have two houses. My kids are choosing now which high school they're going to go to because they were in Catholic school private school and they were looking at uh, the school in Reading there, St. Uh, Augustine. No, what the heck's the school in Reading? The uh, private school. Yeah, I'm trying to think um, up in Reading. Oh my God. Well, whatever. Yeah, a couple yeah. of private schools around the Andover area. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? Let's just go to the Cape. My son loves boating. He loves fishing. Uh, we have a house near the beach. Uh, there's a private school in Falmouth that I thought would be a good fit for them. And I'm like, hey, you guys have any problem moving to the Cape? And everyone was like, no, let's go. So we sold Andover and now I'm here full time since 2016. Yeah, that's great. So you, I'm assuming, uh, out of high school, you got into business. I mean, is that safe to say in college, you you know, you were, your focus was on trying to make some money. Um, and, and and why, yeah. And I was going to say, and why that, or how'd you get into it? How did, how did Putnam come about? What's, you know, interesting in listening to these podcasts that you do uh, is that most people's plans during high school never pan out. Yeah. So my advice to my kids is, I don't give a shit what your major is. You know, I don't care what your direction is. You will find your way. So I've been a little bit hands off on telling my kids because they're of college. I got a son at Stonehill and a daughter who's a senior looking at colleges now. I'm like, don't worry about it. I went to UMass Lowell, my whole, I emulated and, and, and really looked up to my oldest brother. I'm one of four. My oldest brother, Louie, is about 12 years older than me. That is not why I'm called Big Lou, by the way. So let's, uh, Yeah, I was going to say, old, older, yeah, older brother Lou. So I started working out freshman year in high school, and I think Matt Cotter, it could have been Brian O'Connor, the more thought I give on it said, Lou Ferrigno, here comes Lou Ferrigno one day when I walked into a stupid class. You know, 135 pounds, probably benching 125 pounds. But the, the moniker stuck, and over the course of four years, I put on 100 pounds. So I went from 130 as a freshman, believe it or not, it was only 130 pounds as a freshman, wow. to 235 pounds going into senior year. Uh so the name stuck. Matt Cotter, I think, made it up, and, and, and it was supposed to be after Lou Ferrigno. But my dad and my brother's name is Lou. So it was always mass confusion when someone would call me because they would call me Lou. And my father would get on the phone, and my brother would get on the phone. And be like, okay, this is, 
a shit show. Oh god, Randy. That that's hilarious. So, I didn't know it was like Louis the Second or Louis the Third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, Louis they, the Third. So Louis right. Louis the Third. So, yeah, but it, but Randy, it always was Big Lou, right? I mean, you were no one ever said no one ever said there's Randy. They're like Big Big Lou. What's up? Yeah, and in fact, every time I would go to someone else's college and meet, you know, friends of friends, like I'm sure you did with everybody, right. they'd always introduce me to Lou. And I'd see these kids 10 years later, and they wouldn't know that my name was Randy. They'd be like, Lou. I'm like, yeah, hey, how you doing? I'm like, but my name's actually Randy. <laughs> and, oh, my God, I never knew. Where the hell did Lou come from? I like I'm it. So yeah, that's funny. So anyway, uh, get but yeah, so... Yeah, get into college. Like what? Yeah, you. So you were following right. in in your oldest brother's footsteps, but right. And he went to Northeastern as a computer science. He put himself through night school and worked at Honeywell. And you know, my path was going to be computer science. Every time I met with the guidance counselor, either in element, uh, junior high or high school, I was going to Northeastern, doing the co-op program, trying to go to computer science. So. I got hurt senior year uh, playing football, uh, you know, after like the third or fourth game. I missed the rest of the season. I spent, you know, three weeks in the hospital. I missed a month of school. That whole month was really when you're supposed to be doing all that college stuff. I did zero. My mother, my mother applied to UMass Lowell for me, wrote my essays, filled out my application, did all the work. Come on. Way to God. She wrote your essays and everything. Did everything. I was lying in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. hospital. Now, I probably could have did it in November. <laughs> he was, my mother was always three months ahead of when anything was ever due. Right. So she said, hey, you got into Lowell. That's where you're going. I can pay for you to go to Lowell, or you can apply to Northeastern, and, you know, I'll help pay for what I can. And I'm like, I'm already in. I'm done. Moving on. So that's how I ended up at UMass Lowell. I didn't pick it. Right. I didn't you, know anything about it. You, you didn't sit down. You didn't do the college campus tours. You didn't uh, pick, you know, you weren't like choosing. Zero. You weren't choosing between seven schools that you got accepted to. You just. Nope. So now when I'm going through this process with my kids and they're like, what is it like for you, Dad? I'm like, I didn't do anything. Granny picked school for me. And they're like, no, no, sir. And I'm like, no, Grammy told me I was going to UMass Lowell. That's where I ended up. That's so funny because one of the questions that, it, so I've decided that uh, some people have just said I'm too shy, right? Some people have said I have nothing to say. I don't want to come on the podcast. So we came up with like a speed dating version and there's like 15 questions. And one of the questions that my producer really kind of helped me come up with is, you know, wh- what do you uh, what do you tell your kids about like what it was like for you when you were in high school and applying for college? Like that's one of the questions actually. And for you, you can just say, Oh, my mom did it. <laughs> that's what it was like for me. So now my kids are like, mom, can you do our essay? Oh my God. Opened up a can of worms. So, so I'm at Lowell and I had, again, computer science major. Uh, Vinny was there. Rich Vincent was there. Yep. Karen O'Neill was there. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike Eric Chaplin was there. Okay. Uh, uh, there was a, there were four or five Arlington kids at ULO, uh, and then you know a bunch of Burlington. Oh, very local. Yep. Most kids are commute. Half are commuters, half live there, but everyone's from the area. Uh, so good experience overall. But I showed up to my first 
programming class, Pascal programming, and I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> now, I had taken Pascal programming in high school, and I passed, but level two, which I took in high school, I did, I basically failed, but Mr. Kearns, who was the math teacher and the programming teacher, liked me, just gave me a B, yeah. and just said, you know, I know you've given it your effort, but it's just not something you're, whether your mind's not yeah. wired or you can't program like a foreign language. I've been around Italian. My wife's Italian. I've been around Italian-speaking people for 25 years, and I took Italian for two years in high school. I can't say shit, so I don't know if it's something not wired for a programming. That's funny. Language. Yeah, but it's funny that you know that about yourself because, like, I, I was very good in algebra, like very good, like did well in math. I can't solve a proof in geometry to save my life. I'm like, I don't know. I was the same way. I'm like, there's three angles. I don't know. Like, why are there three angles? Because there's three angles. Like, well, what the fuck am I proving here? Like, you know, I could add them up and say they add, uh, you know, 180 or whatever. It's isosceles. It's uh, whatever. But I couldn't, I couldn't write a proof. I couldn't, I couldn't draw something and then say, this is why it's this. So that class was my hardest class. I got A's you know, in math, all throughout elementary, college, high school, except geometry. Yeah. I struggled with geometry because I couldn't prove this shit. I don't know what I, you're talking I, I about. I couldn't do it. I couldn't Man. do it. I had a tough time in chemistry, so, too, with uh, Mr. Cody. I, I did t- as well, but that, I blame it on Mr. Cody. Yeah, see, I didn't like him. Did he not like you? I don't think he liked me. I don't think he, I don't he think he liked me. He liked me, but I was kind of a wise-ass in the class, and he wasn't really one to take wise-ass. I agree. I don't think he enjoyed my company either. <laughs> he, and that's rare, Tim, that someone well, would say Well, I don't know. He maybe just, uh, I, I, we, we rubbed each other the wrong way, so... Yeah, I think I was in that as well. Those are my two toughest classes, chemistry and geometry. Me too. Geometry. All right, we get that in and common. Of course, programming. So I can't <laughs> program. So I'm you all sitting in the programming building and they're ta- talking about stacked arrays and algorithms. And I, my, literally my face is glossing over. I turn to the guy next to me and I said, hey, you following this? Looking for like a little, no, what the hell is this guy talking about? He's like, huh, this shit easy as hell and I'm like oh my god I panic right so I I'm like I called my mother I'm like mom I know it's only a weekend <laughs> but this is a fucking disaster you're gonna get me out he's of like, here yeah. he's like listen settle down you know things will work out I'm like no I'm out I'm dropping out I dropped out the next day not of college of that class right and so then I figured I finished the semester doing a computer science class track without that class. But then I knew I had to transfer to a different major. And my mother said, go into business. I said, okay. And I checked business. The only reason why I'm in business was because she said, go to business. Yeah. So I checked that box. Then a year later, it's undeclared business. I'm walking to class with a friend of mine, been in a bunch of business classes. I'm like, hey, John, I got to go to the registrar's office and fill out this stupid declaration of a major. I'm like, what's your major? He's like, finance. I'm like, fuck it, I'll do finance. Finance. That is literally how I ended up in finance. That's so funny, though, right? How things happen. Completely random. But you love what you do and you've been highly successful at it. 
You know what I mean? Like you didn't. What I do. Always had a passion for you know math. Although the math we use within finance is so stupidly simplistic, but you know a good math. I always enjoyed math. I enjoyed my accounting classes. So through dumb luck, which is most of my life, I think I ended up in 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 a career and doing something that I enjoyed. Like I. You know, as an aside, I wake up happy every morning. Right. And my wife's always like, why are you always so happy getting out of bed every morning? I'm like, I don't know. I've been like this my whole life. And then I sit at this computer. You know, people can't see I'm sitting in my kitchen now. This is my office, even though I got an office in the basement. I never go to it. I'm in my kitchen. My daughter will come down before she goes to school. And she's like, look at you all happy. <laughs> I'm like, what? what do you want me to be? I'm like, I'm doing what I enjoy. I've got to decent life. Yeah. How can I complain? Like, so just again, luck has been on my side, Tim, a lot of the way through my life. So let me ask you a question then. Would it, based on just what you're telling me, um, and the fact that you, so I don't want to say sort of fell into everything, but you know, whatever you make your own way in life, but would it surprise people for you to like, do you think people listening right now are going to say, Randy Farina's made how much money and done what and been how successful like Randy or will they be like no that guy was always driven like he you know he had a decent head on his shoulders or like wh- how would you react I, I to that? I would hope it'd be the latter yeah, I, yeah, yeah. you know I always was a, I was a decent student uh, you know I always uh, you know tried right, right. And, and put, put, know, effort. put effort into everything yeah, yeah. I did you know but and you know unfortunately or fortunately you know I monetary, you know, how much money you have sometimes yeah, yeah. equates to success. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. You know, I, I've hoping, I, I hope since high school, I've matured as a person, uh, become a better person. Some of the activities, you know, I do now and some of the life lessons I try to give my kids, you know, that you can raise kids, you know, and hopefully they're well-adjusted and have some appreciation of what you've given them that, you know, that's success. So it's not always making money is a successful no, I get life it. because if you're a teacher or a nurse, like you're just not going to have the opportunity to make the amount of money that someone in finance can. And, and, and again, that shouldn't define success or failure. Right. What the, the most important part of everything you've said so far is that you wake up happy every morning. <laughs> right. No, but it, I mean, like, that's a success. Like, seriously, the fa- like, you could, m- money doesn't equate happiness. I don't care what anybody says. Like, I've, I've been on a roller coaster ride where I've had it, and I'm like, I should be happy. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable right now. And then I've lost it, and I've been right. like, uh, I could freak out, you know what I mean? Or I could just kind of dig, dig my boots into the ground a little bit harder and say, I gotta, I gotta get out of the hole, but it's never yeah. really, it's I, never been my focus either. But what, what I've noticed, you know, and again, I've been fortunate to be in an industry where uh, you, you, you can make some money. You know, I've been around some people who have made a lot of money, you know, a hundred million dollars. Uh, and I've been around, you know, the, the people that are in operations and, you know, make, you know, a, a living. Uh, what I've always noticed is that there's, you know, some people, no matter how much money they have, they want things that they can't afford, yeah. even though they have millions of, of, of dollars. And it's like, you, you've got to enjoy what you have, and you've got to, you know, not always spend your whole day thinking, well, 
you know, I don't have that. If I only had that, well, yeah. I'd be so much happier. Like I try to tell my son, love my son, love my good kids. You know, we had a, we were fortunate enough to get a boat, you know, 21 foot center console. I never had a boat growing. Right. I didn't even go over the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never took a vacation when I was a kid. We did not go anywhere we could not afford. Right. I went to the Arlington Reds. That was my vacation. Yep. We didn't go anywhere. So now I got a house for the kids and a boat and, you know, life's good. He's like, should we get a bigger boat yet? And I'm like, Nothing. just enjoy the boat you have. Like, let's enjoy what we have. Like, another thing, you know, I don't have my house on the beach. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I have to walk to the beach, yeah, like, yeah. you know, a quarter of a mile. I'm not bragging or anything like that. I'm not on the beach. I'd love to be on the beach, but you know what? I'm not. And I enjoy the beach. I enjoy what I have. That's why I think I wake up happy because I'm not trying to get anywhere. Right. I'm just living in the moment and what I have. Do you struggle at all with the kids? I don't want to say just your children. I'm saying I think it's a question I would ask almost every single person. Like, don't you find that they don't they don't go for want with anything? You know what I mean? Like most, I'm saying as a parent, I will go for want. I will not buy new sneakers. I will not do that. I will not, you know what I mean? I'll, but I'll give my kid a $180 pair of sneakers. Like, but I'll right. just say, ah, oh, whatever. I'll just keep wearing these same old A6, right. A6 until they start falling apart. You know what I mean? It's, you know, we all want to spoil our right, kids and give right. them all that, you know, we didn't have, you know, and I, I was very fortunate to be the fourth one by then my mom who went back to school at 50 to become a nurse, was working at Park Ave Nursing Home and making good money. So she was able to give me more than any of my other brothers. Right. So I didn't go for not, you know, we yeah. can take vacations, but I had everything I ever wanted. So I have not spoiled my kids at all. And you give me an example, Tim, and I think that is, that is setting them up for later in life to just, you know, enjoy the moment and, and, right. and, and, and not, again, want what you don't have and, and, and just be happy. My daughter, who's just turned 17 and got her license late because of this whole COVID stuff, uh, you know, needs a car. Uh, and she is looking for an old car. She, for whatever reason, likes the CRV from the 06 range, which is retro. Now she even got a record player for Christmas. It's like, what the hell is going on? We're bringing back vinyl that's albums. That's awesome, though. Come on. That's fantastic. Put the needle on the right. record. Right. But. You know, I, my brother used to have about 100 albums, uh, you know, or more. He, I called him, hey, Lou, you got any albums from back in the day? Because uh, he was a big guitar player. I don't know if you, you wouldn't know this story. He actually tried out when Joe, when, when Aerosmith broke up, Joe Perry formed his own band and had an album called The Joe Perry Project. My brother Louie tried out at 17 to be the guitarist for that band. Awesome. And Joe... Harry had said to him, you're a great guitarist, but you're too young. I'm 27, you're 17, like, it's just not going to work. So he was a, an accomplished guitarist. Yep. Long story short, he had a gazillion albums. And I'm like, well, Francesca just got a record played. You have those albums. He's like, I threw those out like 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm like, no shit. Who would keep vinyl albums? I know. Thinking someday they'd either be A, worth something, or B, would come back. I think it's great though that she has one. Are you just we're gonna have to find some we're gonna have to find some albums for. Right. But they're expensive. They're yeah. like thirty bucks an album. Right, right. Like, 
I'm not, I'm not going to build her album collection. So anyway, my story about the CRV is that she goes and shows me a car online. It's in bowl. Uh, go look at it. They want seven grand for it. And I'm like, well, I'll give you six. And the guy's like, you know, no. And I'm like, okay, forget it. And I'm, you know, thinking that, hey, I'm a negotiator. So then I called, you know, a couple of days later and I said, Hey, I'll give you 6250. He's like, no, 6,500. And I'm like, no, I'm going to walk away. So Tim, $250, I then told my daughter, Francesca, you don't always get everything you want in life. And so now I'm stuck without a car. She takes the car every morning to school. You know, I work at home, so it's not necessarily like I need a car. But over 200, what an idiot. I look back and I'm like, over 200. I thought you were, you know where, you know where I thought you were going with it. I thought you were going to say, dad, I'll give it the 250. So call that guy back up and give him the 65 hundy and I'll give you the, I'll make up the difference. That's where I thought you were going with the story. I probably would have. I know she would have, but I'm like, no, we, we lost it. We didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, we lost <laughs> what, what an idiot. Honestly, yeah. I walked the beach, you know, and I'm like thinking about yeah, it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I couldn't be any more idiotic in the things I do sometimes. That's a- I was trying to, not even, I spun it into, hey, this is a life lesson, Francesca, that you don't get what you want. But it's total bullshit. I was just being stupid. That's funny, though. I like it. Um so when we talked the last time, you had mentioned that, I mean, I, I joked at the top, but I said, you know, you're in phenomenal shape now. And you mentioned that you've been like playing basketball. I think you coach as well, right? Are you, are you still playing hoops like all the time? Uh, I wish we could right now because well, we're middle of January when we're doing this interview. None of the uh, indoor facilities are open because of COVID. So right. I played up until December outdoors. Uh, the case a little bit warmer usually than yeah, in, yeah. in Boston. So we played, we got some fall runs in. Uh, but yeah, I definitely uh, keep in shape playing hoop. Uh, I did coach. So back to my, you know, how I ended up on the case full time. Uh, and it leads into a couple of stories if you think they're interesting yeah, yeah. about my mom and whatnot. So Putnam did end up letting me go. I had a 20-year career at Putnam as a portfolio manager, you know, started as an operations and accounting analyst, portfolio manager, uh, you know, had a good run and then had a couple of bad years and coinciding with new management uh, that came in in, in in mid part of the 2000s. They wanted to go with their own guys. Yep. And so my team got pushed out, and, you know, hey, nothing you can do. It's a reflection of a bad cycle in yep. our performance. Yep. But, you know, I wasn't bitter. Putnam had given me a lot of opportunity and, 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 and enriched my life, you know, in more ways than one. So I, I, was I upset? Yeah. Was I bitter? No. Uh, so that's, it did happen. So it was smart to move down the Cape because we were already here. My kids were already in school when that happened. So then there was no headache or worry. Within a week or two, I got an offer to join a couple of former colleagues Kind of the same thing had happened to them. They were let go. They joined another firm and were building an investment uh, team over there. And they asked me to come and be the director of research and help mentor people uh, as they grew. And I said, great, signing me up. I'll commute from the Cape four days a week. Uh, you know, it's, you know, a little bit of a commute, but, you know, we'll make it work. And I was having fun about a year into it. Uh, my mom calls uh, and she says, you know, Randy, I, I got bad news. I got cancer. 
And I was like, shit, this sucks. Yeah. And my dad uh, had passed away in 2013 from kidney cancer. He got diagnosed in 2011, and 24 months later, he was dead. And for the first year, any treatment he had, any doctor's appointment he had, I was able to either work from the hospital, take him. My boss in Putnam was like, you do whatever you got to do for your family. They come first. So I spent all my time, I was the number, uh, uh, you know, one person my mom turned to to help care for my dad or get him to appointments and do all that. And, you know, I'm rambling here a little bit. No, here, no, but no, my no, mom no. was a nurse. My, non, my mom was a nurse for 30 years at Park Ave Nursing Home. And she always said it is a lonely life for the elderly in the nursing home. And so she always was their last friend. She was always the person they turned to when they were on their deathbed because they had interacted with her the most. She had just retired in 2010. She was 75. She had spent, you know, 25, 30 years working. My dad had been retired since he was 60. He was in the Army National Guards. Uh, and they were going to travel, you know. She just retired. They were right. both 75, 77. Within a, six months of her retiring, he got diagnosed with cancer. She is now back caring for him as a cancer patient who, you know, his last year of his life was literally in bed, uh, you know, needing 24-7 care. Yeah. And I'm saying, Ma, you've got to get him in a nursing home. And she's like, over my dead body, will he die in a nursing home? I will take care of him. So, you know, the... What I got to see my mom do was amazing. And I didn't think I was going to get emotional here. Randy, uh -huh. I, no, listen, you're talking to someone who lost both parents to cancer. And uh, on my watch, so to speak. So my dad, um, my, my dad had uh, lung uh, lung cancer that spread to his esophagus. I remember coming home from my winter break in my sophomore year of high school. Uh, sorry, sophomore year of college. And I spent 30 straight days taking him to chemo at uh, Mass General. And then I went back for my spring semester, my sophomore year. And when I drove home and pulled into the driveway on May 22nd of 1992, I said, hey, how are you feeling? Are you getting better? Is it?" And my mother was like, hey, sit down. Like, dad's not going to make it through the summer, right? So then I spent... May, June, and he passed away on July 15th. Just, I didn't do anything all summer. My sophomore year, I was 20 years old. Hey, let's go out. Let's live. Let's go drink and let's go whatever. I said, nah, man, I got like two months left with my old man. Like, you know, and my father was like, you have to live. Like, you have to go out. And I'm like, no, you don't have to tell me what I need to do. I'm going to be here with you. Right. And then my mom, Randy, same type of thing, right? She lost like 50 pounds to uh, have, she was having bone on bone problems with her hip to the point where she was downing a leave like they were tic tacs and it like put a hole in her stomach you know what i mean and she's bleeding and whatever and but because she was in so much pain she goes and has finally has hip replacement surgery and six days later they say nancy you have stage four liver cancer and she died like 35 days later oh so here i am saying mom lose the weight mom lose the weight it's killing me seeing you walking around with a cane. Like you need to get the hip done. You need to get the hip done. You need to get the hip done. She gets the hip done. How's the hip feel? The hip feels great. Something else doesn't feel right. 35 fucking days later, Randy, she dies. 
Uh, yeah. So my entire family took shifts, but like she couldn't move because she had a new hip. So we're like, come on, mom, you got to get out of bed to go to the bathroom. You know, and I mean, I, you know, I was we, like I said, it was like two days on and then two or three days off. I mean, I'm lucky I'm from a big family, but like yeah. it's the worst, buddy. I feel for you. I can. I've cried more about this stuff than you can dream about, like losing my yeah. father at 20 and then having a 14 year old son. And I look at him all the time. I go, damn, I wish I, I you knew my, my dad. Like I, 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 I more than that. anything, I wish you could just know my dad for a fucking day. There's some of the regret as well. Yeah. You know, my kids were 10 and eight when my dad passed. Uh, but you know, he's my little, you know, I was his little buddy and you know, I, he was a great influence on me. Uh, and you know, he, he, was hard. I cried a lot, uh, and you know, but life goes on. And you know, they were 80 years old when he passed, so it's not like he was a child. Uh, you know, he was someone our age, 50, someone in their 50s getting cancer is very scary. He was 80, lived a full life, had seven grandkids, you know, and all that. But it was sad for my mom. So post when my dad died, she was alone. Uh, used to take her out to lunch, you know, once a week, uh, and especially in the summers when my family was at the Cape, I kind of went back and forth a little bit in Andover, uh, and I'd spend, you know, as much time down here as I could, but occasionally I had to be back that way, I'd spend time with her, yeah. and she'd be sitting crying, looking at her phone, a picture of dad, and I'd be like, my, you got to, easy for me to say, get, mom, you got to move on, so then listen to this story, Tim, she does move on, she meets her high school boyfriend <laughs> from 1955, he was an Arlington guy, <clears throat> and Caracciola, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Again, that Italian program. She meets someone about a year, two years after my dad died. His wife had died of cancer. He had lived in Arlington. I don't know how their paths crossed. Right. They end up getting engaged. She goes to Florida with him. Nicest guy ever. I still text him every day. I say hi to him every day, even though my mom's been gone now for almost two years. They end up having, you know, two wonderful years, 2016, 2017, in Florida. She's enjoying life, working out, doing everything she can. Then she gets cancer. And within nine months, she's dead. Right. So I'm at Westwood, the second firm, when I left Putnam. My mom calls me and says I have cancer. And I go into, you know, the people I work with, and I said, listen, I'm going to be there for her like I was with my mom. Uh, my dad, and they said, absolutely. So every Wednesday, I took her to, I would drive down to the Cape, drive down to Woburn, play hoop first, so 10 in the morning. <laughs> I would drive down to get a hoop run in yep. before I went and saw my mom. But I'd go to my mom's house, and I'd spend the whole day there. If she had a doctor's appointment or chemo, I would do that. Uh, but as the end was getting closer, I was like, you know what? I, I need to spend more time with her, and I need to step away from the financial yep. uh, job I'm doing. Uh, and I, I just want to spend as much time as I can with her. Uh, but I'm also kind of sick of this and done with this industry. I'm just, you know, I don't know if it was the stress of the situation uh, or, you know, culmination of factors, but I just up and quit. I literally walked in and said, Hey guys, I'm quitting. Yeah. I want to be with my mother. I think that's my calling. Um, uh, she died a month later. So I thought I'd have a lot more time with her because she was actually at a, a good point in her treatment. She was doing and feeling 
as best as she had since her diagnosis. But then she died very suddenly. I mean, we knew she was going to die, right. uh, obviously, at some point. But it, it, it was a little bit of a sudden, you know, ending. Uh, but then I'm like, well, I quit my job. I'm retired. I'm financially, I'm secure. I don't need to go back to work. Hey, Tina, wife, mind if I fucking not work anymore? Yeah. You know, you do what you got to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to quit. I'm, I love it. I'm going to go do shit I've never done. Uh, and I kind of fell into those things. So my wife had always volunteered at a farm on the Cape a couple of years. Uh, they dealt with special needs kids. She has always been a very uh, passionate about helping people and volunteering. And, you know, dragged me along once in a while. I'm not going to say I was ever the catalyst to do anything. Uh, she always was. But she went to this farm and uh, they worked with special needs kids through equine therapy. And so she's like, come with me and meet the guy that runs the farm. Doesn't own it, runs it. Peter. Right, right. Go there, nice guy, 65 years old, uh, does all the, you know, you know, cutting the lawn, mending the fences, doing all the horse stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, do you need anyone to help you do this shit? And he's like, sure, come, you know, Tuesday. Then I started going Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. It started to become my job. I literally would drive a tractor. Right. I would fix shelves in the shed. I would fix the fence. I would, you know, scoop shit, scoop cow shit, um, you know, Stuff I'd never done because I sat on my ass right. in an office no, for 25 I, years. I get it. And it was so liberating. I loved it. I had so much fun. That's fantastic. And I'm just keep talking here. No, I know. Sorry. I'm saying, but no, I'm saying that's fantastic. I, I continue, but I'm <laughs> saying I, I love, you know, nothing better than a good cow shit story. <laughs> no, in fact, I loved scooping the cow shit. No one else wanted to do it at the farm for whatever reason. With this pitchfork and this big pile of shit, it was so, I just, I felt <laughs> it's so much at peace in the cow pen uh, when I was scooping shit. Although I did send you a photo of one of them literally chased me out of the cow pen yeah. and I had to dive under the fence. Now, he probably was not running at me. They like to knock over the barrel that you scoop the shit into, but I didn't know. <laughs> so I hightailed it from this massive cow who I thought was full on yeah. steam coming at me. I ran under the fence and I'm looking around and I'm like, I wish that had been on camera. Oh I would have been pissing myself laughing because I literally ran like a 4840 getting away from that cow. Might have won a little uh, America's Funniest Home Video. <laughs> so that's what I was doing the last couple of years. I was officially retired. I got into coaching my son in high school. Uh, I was just shooting around with him one day uh, and his coach came over and he said, Hey, you know, my name's Tyrone. I said, Oh, Mandy. He said, Oh, you want to coach with me? And my son's shaking his head. No, no, yeah, yeah. Dad, I don't, don't do it. Because I had coached him in like soccer and basketball sports. I never played, you know, uh, on a team, but, you know, suddenly I'm coaching soccer, which I didn't even know the rules. And then basketball, which I never played organized basketball. So I'm, trying to coach that and I don't even know what I'm doing there. So he remembers that and he's shaking his head, no, no. And because I see him shaking his head, no, no, I'm like, absolutely. I'm in. I'd love to Sign me up. Sign me up. So we had a fun two years uh, coaching, uh, you know, his junior and senior year. Uh, the team was absolutely horrifically bad. 
if we had one basketball player, and I shouldn't be saying this, I'd be shocked. You know, we're a small school, 30 kids do a class, 120 kids total in the school. Yep. Uh, so they're not drawing from a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it's not a big draw for the athletes. Yeah. So we were terrible. We were four and 35, I think, in the two years. <laughs> Oh, four and 35. You got that going for you. So listen, what I should, what you should do in, um, this would be good for me is you, if I could see the video tapes of the basketball games, then I could text you after the games and say, Hey coach, I noticed a couple things, a little role reversal, Randy. I could have my, I, <laughs> you can There'd keep be a lot of Monday morning quarterback and Hey, but you can only win if you got the horses. I mean, I, I could know. easily just say, Hey Tim, why don't you take the whistle? Look, you go see how many wins you get with this. Look at Brady and Belichick, right? Play is play. That's right. Play is play. Coach <laughs> is coach, but play is play, baby. Right. So it was a lot of fun. I, You know, it was the bus rides after a beatdown, you know, was when I tried to use just some of my life perspective. Like, hey, you don't always get what you don't – you don't always get what you want. You don't always come out on top. You know, I got let go from a job that I loved and didn't think that would ever happen. If you told me in 2010 when I was at the height of my uh, investment career that it was going to be let go in five years, I would have said, you're absolutely out of your mind. So I said, hey, all you can do is pick yourself up after a tough loss or a beatdown and just get up the next day and, you know, go about your business and, and, and try to get back to where you want to be as a player or as a person or whatever the heck, you know, I was trying That's to do great. Something. Half the kids probably weren't even listening to him. They got their headphones. Yeah, I know that's tough. I yeah, listen, I get it. I have a fourteen-year-old. Like I said, I'm I'm starting to to delve into that uh, teenage water where it's like talking to the wall. You know what I mean? It was like I was his best friend for thirteen years, and now the 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 switch has been flipped, and uh, I'm fighting to get a minute, you know, in with the kid. Uh, but he, he's he's a tremendous young man couldn't be prouder of him but he's just he's in he's in his own world right now you know so yeah and, and we were too i we know. probably just don't remember and and they come back i notice now my son is a freshman now you know the relationship's changing like he's matured from a semester in college right. i don't know if we did but at least they did uh so yeah you know you coaching baseball you had mentioned on a couple of podcasts and when we spoke uh, it's, it's always good to be around them and be a good influence. Uh, but sometimes it's tough, like, you know, getting up to go coach, you know, it's a lot of time and effort and you can't just half-ass it. Like, right. you know, I was watching videos and breaking down film and trying to help them, you know, again, I was retired, so it wasn't like time <laughs> wasn't on my side. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, we, I put in the hours coaching for sure. And, and, and in fact, I was playing basketball like five days a week. I got into the best shape of my life over the last 24 months because I was at the farm being active. Right. I was playing basketball every day and I was working out six, seven days a week. So I got down to about 175. I had my peak. I was 250. So I lost like a person yeah. over the last couple of decades. So even at the reunion in 2015, you know, I'm, I've been much lighter for a longer period of time. But few people who haven't seen me say since, you know, either the reunion in 2000 and uh, 1995 or 2000, yeah. I skipped a few. Yeah. They don't recognize me. I needed my name tag. They're like, who is this guy? And they're like, who are you? Yeah. Uh, right. 
he must have been a quarterback or a running back. Right, right. No, no, that's the left tackle. That that did happen, though, and people have changed a little bit, too, meaning the first five years, everyone kind of looks the same or you know who's who, but, you know, 20, 25 years, a different story. I remember the 25th going out and grabbing those name tags. I turned to Carl and I was like, what's, I was like, I don't know who half of these people are. You know what I mean? I was like, I feel bad. They're all coming in going, Hey, it's him. And I'm like, Hey, you, you look great. Like, you know, I'm like, what's the, I'm like, I don't know. Remember who you are. And I wasn't on Facebook, nothing. So I really, um, I, there was no frame of reference. There were no like family photos, anything, you know what I mean? For me to follow and track. And I was just, and even with Facebook, you're not going to keep in track with 300 people. You know, your tighter circle, you'll keep in touch with, and you'll know what they look like. But yeah, there were a number of people like, "Who the hell are you?" Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh, really?" And then it gets confusing. I should have probably put Lou on my uh, name. Yeah, you should have put Lou, Louis the Third. No one knows who Randy is. So what? Uh, what's the plan? I mean, you're are you are you an open book at this stage in your life? Are you, are, you know what I mean? Is it any? any you know, so I'm back working yeah, actually. I, so. So let me explain, you know, well, no, I mean, the time and things. No, I mean, I know you're back working. That's what I mean. But is it, okay. and no, no, and, and I want to, we can chat about that. But I'm saying like, do you leave yourself, are you basically, I mean, are you working just because you want to kind of be working? You know what I mean? Is it, and then let's say, let's just say for argument's sake, you work for a couple more years. Do you think you may get into like something else and then, and then maybe come back to it? Or like, where are you at big picture? You know what I mean? Yeah, so good question. Uh, you know, I had 24 months to figure out what I was going to do because, you know, 49, yeah. uh, 47 when I retired, obviously, you know, long life to live. Right. And my wife was like, you'll figure it out, uh, you know. And so I thought I'd, maybe I'd start an investment firm. Maybe I'd invest in someone else's business. This guy I coached with Tyrone, he wanted to buy a gym. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe all kinds of things. I could maybe do. Tim, I wrote a list. I don't think, you know, the first week I was retired of things I was going to look into, I never touched that list once. Yeah. So they didn't really do anything to make a plan come to fruition. COVID hit. I'm bored as shit because mm-hmm. we can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Hoops shut down. The gym is closed. I was still going to the farm, so at least I had some outlet. Uh, I'm involved actively in running my own money and, and, and talking to Ron Siggins, who's a financial advisor and who I've kept in touch with uh, and, and, and really, you know, over the last couple of years with the markets and stocks, and, you know, really kept in contact with me, probably checked every other day. Yep. Uh, he's a financial planner. I'm like, maybe I'll go into that. I'm enjoying this market sell-off and people's reactions. And then I see a job posting. I'm literally just sitting on my couch my wife's trying to pick a movie and that's like a five hour journey usually. Uh, and so I'm clicking through LinkedIn and I see a job portfolio manager and I'm like, Oh, I would like to do that again. North Carolina. I'm like, well, that ain't happening. I'm not moving, but let me just throw my hat. And let me just apply. No one's going to get back to me. Let me just throw my resume. I happen to have a resume somehow within the LinkedIn. Yeah app that I could just forward. I think if I had waited, I don't think I would have done it because when I went downstairs to my computer the next day to look up the job just to remember what the hell it was, it was gone. So he only posted it for like 24 hours, this job. So I would never really apply if my resume hadn't been there. 
So I said, let me go through the motions. I'm not sure I want to move to North Carolina, but my wife and I are opposed to it because the kids are older. They'll be in college. You know, maybe it'd be a good adventure. I get the job. Holy cow. And I'm like, shit, what do I do? Do I take it? Do I want to do this again? Do I want to work? Right. I don't know what I want to do. So, you know, I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, I like the markets. I like investing. And it's been fun. I love it. It is literally like the group I had at Putnam. I'm engaged again. I'm having fun. And so I don't really have a plan. This could go three years. This right. could go 10 years. This could go three months. Uh, I do eventually probably will make it to Florida, whether it's three, six, nine months a year. I'll always have this Cape house, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, so the plan is just to, you know, enjoy life, but, you know, probably get out of Falmouth in the winters once my kids are in college. Uh, the job is remote. Uh, I'm thinking it's remote. Uh, on the go forward that has not been communicated with me, but that's what I'll communicate to them. Uh, and, you know, I think we'll come to an agreement. Sure. Uh, so no plan, just continue yes. to invest. If I stumble into something, maybe things change. Uh, but for now, very happy, very content, uh, engaged, and really enjoying the people I work with. So, you know, the days fly by. You know, sounds like life's pretty good. Yeah, I, again, a lot of it was, you know, a lot of luck along the way. Like, you know, even my Putnam start of the career was literally like I sat outside someone's office that we hit it off and he ended up hiring me a year later. Like, just dumb luck falling into good situations. And, you know, I know I've been blessed. So when I hear these podcasts of people you know, who have had struggles and who are continuing to have struggles. I have empathy. I have a brother who's a drug addict uh, who has lost literally everything in his life and was, you know, I drove him to rehab more than once. Uh, so, you know, certainly appreciative of the stories that our classmates tell. Right. And it's great when we hear a story of redemption mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, finally getting over that hump, like Eric Prendergast, who I literally have not talked to in 30 years since, you know, uh, high school, yeah. to hear his story and how he has overcome, you know, his challenges in life. It was great to hear because I know not everyone wakes up every day happy. And, you know, just because I do doesn't mean everyone else does. So, you know, it's definitely have an appreciation that I do. And, you know, empathy for those who, who don't. And not everybody knows what the heck they want to do in life. And that's okay. As long right. as you somehow try to keep going forward, you'll be all right. Yeah, no, I, I very well said. Truthfully, um, that's been the, the exploration for me, you know, the journey. It's like, I, and, and I've said it a thousand times. I just said it in, in my discussion with somebody right before coming on with you, Randy, that the fun part for me is finding out, you know, what you've been up to, but what you're passionate about, you know what I mean? What, what does make you happy? Because at the end of the day, you know, with everything going on in the world, I've, I do a lot of reading and follow that, you know, human connection is like the most critical thing. You're talking about your mom, right. And, and finding love after so many years. And, and honestly, it's what, not to sound corny, but it's like it's it's what we need more now than ever before. Like with the the feedback that I've received from the podcast is just 
wow, in an otherwise dark time, this has been kind of like light, you know, and hopeful and just sort of the whole reconnecting. I use that word a lot in the very, very beginning of the podcast and have sort of toned it down a little bit. But the truth is that's been my impetus all along is like just, hey, it's really great to see you. I'm happy for you. Like I, because, I, you know, you talk about empathy and just, I feel for, for everyone that I'm talking to, like, and, and, and I want to share in your, in your success. You know what I mean? I want to be like, Randy, good for you. Like great story. Your mom being there writing a college essay, like love it. You know I mean? It's not, it's not a line. It's like, holy crap. Like I, I didn't know any of this. Like I didn't know any of it. So I think at the center of a lot of success are good people around you. You know what I mean? And family and things you care about. And like at the end of the day, like what more than family, you know what I mean? So, um, I just say, that's why I even said like, to me, you seem like you're in a good place and and you're in a comfortable place where I'm envious that you can, you know, sort of figure it out as you go on the fly type of thing. Like you can take the next couple of years and, and so, you know, you can take this job in North yeah. Carolina and I can say, Randy, good luck with that. Like, I hope you kill it. And then you'll be like, yeah, I did it for a couple of years. And I did kill it, but now I'm going to do yeah. something else and whatever. And I like that, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. So again, blessed to be able to have the opportunities to just, you know, not have to say, you know, like, I hate my job. I hate getting up every right. morning. Like, you know, I, my father-in-law worked at a company for until he was 70 as a mechanic in the cold and the heat, he hated it, but he had to do it to provide for the family. And so it's like, not everybody loves their job either. So it's like, right. Yeah. If you can find, uh, again, tell my kids something, you may not know what you want to do today and that's fine, but you know, just do, it's easy to say, do what makes right. you happy. And you know, you got to get a job that you'll be engaged in your whole life. Who the hell knows? That's good advice, but that's not practical advice. Get out there, do whatever you do to your best. If you don't like it, don't worry about moving on from it and trying something else. And I listened to you, and you've talked about, you know, your resume reads, you know, like two years here, two years there, two years there. But that's given you a, you know, an experience of multiple different avenues and jobs and people that maybe you're a much better person because of that, then you would have been, if you hadn't had that, you know, change every couple of years, right. nothing wrong with change. Yeah. I think uh, some people are afraid of it is, is what it is. Like I, you know, I think having gone through it a few times, I tell people, ah, you know what? I've, I've, I've taken my lumps, but I get up every day happy too. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, I'm not going to not wake up tomorrow morning, you know what I mean? Like God willing. So I'll take whatever comes my way and, and, I try to make my own happiness, Randy, but at the same time, um, you know, some things like you, you had talked about, like I, I've gone through like management changes or ownership changes. It's not like they weren't all my decisions to be like, hey, I'm going to leave this yeah. job. I, you know, like some things have happened. I've been laid off or fired or whatever, or, you know, or decided on my own accord, this isn't for me anymore. You know, this I, when, when I started here, this is what we were, and now this is what we are. And I know I liked what we were, not not what we're what we're becoming. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. I've made that decision, but I I've done it knowing what I'm doing and not fearing like oh I always say I'll land on my feet, I'll be fine, I'll get a you know what I mean, I'll whatever. Right. So yeah, you don't always know it it, it, it works out or it doesn't, and right. so, again. And I've changed. I was afraid to change too for a lot of years. 
uh, and you know, it wasn't my decision to leave Putnam, right. but that was a forced change. Right. And I think in the end, I think my life is better now than if that didn't happen. Right. Now, would I have made more money at Putnam? Yeah, but okay, that doesn't necessarily mean the life experiences I've had over the last five years, you know, they're worth more than money. Like, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with my son mm -hmm. uh, when he was on the basketball team. And he just gave me a fist bump. Yeah. Dogs in the closet, by the way. You got to get him to the groomer. Uh -huh. uh, he, uh, you know, got to spend time with him, spend more time with my wife and daughter and, and my mom. So I wouldn't trade that for right. money. Right. But again, it's a little easier to say that when you're, you know, doing okay, too. Sure. You know, if I had to get up every morning and, 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 and worry about money, then, then maybe a lot of those decisions I make wouldn't have been. Right. Well, listen, I don't want to eat up any more of your time. I, I know you probably have some uh, some business to conduct. I know you had a call before this one, and you probably have some business to attend to this afternoon. Busy executive, too. I, I, I know. Uh, you don't have any gray hair. I'm envious of that. Um, it's, a, it's a full head of hair. That's a good thing, too. And uh, listen, I'm glad you're in a good place, Randy. I appreciate you taking some time. And I know you're not on Facebook and whatnot, so you're one of these guys that's uh, in the shadows. So I know people are going to be, uh, they're going to say, oh, right, whatever happened to that Randy Farina? And I'm going to say, mm -hmm. he's over the bridge, down the Cape <laughs> in Falmouth. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a lot of people reaching out to you to get my contact information. There too. you go. There you go. Listen, thanks so much for the time, buddy. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Dan. Keep Louis, up the good work. Louis the Third. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to your uh, critiques every Monday. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.